I invite the children to be dismissed to junior church at this time. And, um, you know, we're going to go to Genesis 6, verses 9 through 12 here in just a moment. Genesis 6, verses 9 through 12. And so I invite you to turn there in your Bibles or on your smartphones and, or a pew Bible or whatever you have with you, Genesis 6, 9 through 12. Uh, as the praise team sits down, I want to give you a preview of coming attractions. At the end of the service today, we're going to start having altar uh, pray, prayers, altar prayers. You know, we have these prayer altars, and I always like to share that the altars are always open. If God has laid anything on your heart, and you feel called to just to lay it before the Lord, and you want to come forward to the altars at the end of the service, they're always open. You're always welcome to do that. But I'd always like to know that people from the church will come up and pray with them. So Bill Rotar is organizing prayer workers who will come up and stand at the end of the service. And if you want, would like somebody to pray with you, they'll be up here to pray with you at the end of the service, not just this Sunday, but but every Sunday. So, um, you know, if God has anything in your heart, it, you, you may think I'm just talking about coming to salvation or questions about the faith. No, not just that. It could be anything, dealing with sickness or illness, you or your family or an emotional turmoil, whatever you need prayer for, we have people to pray with you. And I'm grateful for that. Have you ever been in a room totally dark? I want to ask uh, Bill and Ken. They're going to turn out the lights in here. And I've been in here during the daytime when the lights are out. And it won't be totally dark. But imagine, thank you, and just get ready to turn it back on. And Ken's going to turn out the lights up here too, I think. Imagine if it's totally dark, it's dark outside, you know, like on Christmas Eve, and my light is the only light shining. You know, I got this candle. Now imagine if my little light, this little light of mine, I'm not shining. If my little light is the only one shining, it would stand out, wouldn't it? It would be dark in here if all the lights were out and it's dark outside, pitch dark outside. It would be dark in here. Trust me, I walked in here when it's dark at night. It's dark in here. You know, I think sometimes I'm just going to go get something, don't need to turn the lights on. You hit those pews with your leg at night, it hurts, okay? It would be dark in here. But if you've got just one little light, it's going to stand out, right? It's going to stand out. God calls us to be different. He calls Christians to stand out. Thank you, Bill and Ken. Go ahead and turn the lights back on for now. We would stand out as Christians. We're called to stand out. Dr. Bill Brown was the president of Cedarville University when I was a student there. He now works with the Coulson Fellows Program of the Coulson Center. Very great, smart, intellectual guy. He was a president. About 12, 13 years ago, I heard him tell a story. When he was uh, working on his PhD, his doctorate, PhD stands for a doctorate of philosophy or also postal digger. But when he was working on his doctorate philosophy degree, his PhD program, he was the main income. I mean, his wife was the main income. His wife's working. Her income was the main provider. He's working on his PhD so that he could provide more in the future. And during this time, his wife was working somewhere, and the boss wanted her to do something that was unethical. The boss wanted her to do something that lacked integrity. Mix up the numbers, so to speak. Change the numbers so that the business would receive more money even though they were not supposed to receive more money. They were lying about numbers. Dr. Brown's wife told him, I, I can't do this. This is lying. This is lacking integrity. I can't do this. He said, you have to. She goes back to her desk and sits, about, sits at the desk and thinks about it, prays about it, and thought, 
I can't do this. She goes back to her boss and says, I can't do this. This is wrong. The boss says you have to. She goes back to her desk again, thinks about it, prays about it, calls her husband, who says we need to obey God and not man. Whenever there's a conflict between two authorities, we are to obey the higher authority. You obey God because God's the higher authority. We see that in in, in Exodus chapter 1. The Hebrew midwives were supposed to kill all the male babies. But that would be wrong. They obeyed God, God being the higher authority. God's the higher authority over Pharaoh. So she goes back, Dr. Brown's wife goes back to uh, the boss and says, I just cannot do this. I need to obey God. And God tells me not to do this. The boss responds, when you are here, I'm your God. That pretty much settled it. She said, I can't do it. And she was fired. She goes home. Her and her husband uh, prayed about it, talked about it. They didn't have any major income at this point. You know, wept over things, thought, how are we going to provide? How's God going to work things out? Well, he was doing side work while he was doing his PhD, doing side work, uh, editing Greek manuscripts for a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he had to return these Greek manuscripts. So she went with him, and they went to see the professor drop off these Greek manuscripts. And he notices that Bill Brown's wife is with them, and, and she usually wasn't. So he said, I see your wife's with you today. Is she, is she sick? Is she ill? They told him the story, what happened. And he said, well, you know, I was about to hire an assistant. I need somebody to type things for me, copy them, write, whatever. Would you like to be my assistant? I was just about, po- I was just about to post the job. Would you like the job as my assistant? And she said, I have to pray about it? No, she didn't. She said, of course, yeah, I would love the job. So she got a job that very day typing what would end up becoming the New King James Version Bible, which we know today as the New King James Version Bible. You know, Dr. Brown and his wife, especially his wife, stood for God. They stood for God's way. I say they both stood for God. It was really, especially his wife, Sometimes in marriage you say we. Like I saw this video where a woman calls her husband and says, you know how when we were pregnant, when I was pregnant, you said we were pregnant? You know how when we gave birth to a baby, you said we gave birth? And he said, yeah. And she said, well, we just dented the car. So <laughs> sometimes, sometimes when you're in marriage, you say we. And uh, she stood for truth with his total, complete support. She stood. She was a light in a dark world. Now that boss may not have seen it as light. But she stood for truth. She stood for truth. She stood for God. And on that very day, God provided. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes we have to wait days or weeks and, and even uh, live very, very frugally for, as God provides. But we are to obey God. I see in this story of Dr. Brown and his wife two themes that are important to today's message. One is the continual theme of Christians being different from the world. We are called to be different. We are called to be incarnational. Christians must be light. Dr. Brown's wife may not have made the boss happy. However, she had to be a light in a dark world. And I'm sure there are other co-workers saying, thank you for standing for truth. 
The world may say, do what you have to do to get more money. That's what her boss wanted her to do. Do what you have to do to get more money. Change the numbers. But Christ calls us to integrity. The world must see Christians with integrity. And when they do, they will see us as light in a dark world. This is because we must be trustworthy. The second theme from that story that I shared is reverence for God. Reverence for God. The boss said, when you are here, I am your God. The passage we will look at will talk about reverence for God. So let's look at the passage. My theme today is Noah was different from the others. He walked with God. Noah was different from the others. He walked with God. In verses 9 through 10, we see the introduction to Noah. Let's read verses 9 through 10. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, we've already been introduced to Noah. This is kind of a reintroduction to Noah. And as you've heard me share, we are in a sermon series focusing on the significance of Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are significant. They're foundational to our faith. They're of prime importance. We learn so much about truth, about a biblical worldview, about the biblical meta-narrative, the grand stories of, of the Bible. We learn so much about truth in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. I'm teaching a class at Malone that's going to be done in about a month. And uh, one of my students said in a paper that in the Bible times, they had the intelligence of about a four-year-old today. And he's a freshman, just so you know. And I responded and said they were way smarter than we give them credit for. That's what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. I love that. I love that phrase. I use it a lot. We always think, you know, we're smarter than our ancestors and those that came before us. Not true. I responded amongst many things. One is they knew how to farm and make food and get things totally from scratch repeatedly. You know, we might need we might be able to go out and live in the woods for a week. Uh, Try doing that forever and for your whole life, you know, not having A lot of things, you know, that we have. I was watching an old movie uh, the other day, a police movie. It's not that old, but. And I kept thinking, why isn't he just picking up his cell phone and calling? You know, it's natural that today's day, you think if it's in a dark room on a movie, pull your, like the show Stranger Things. Any of you see Stranger Things? It was on Netflix a few years ago. I got tired of it and quit watching it. But, you know, it takes place in the 80s and they're in a dark room and you think, why don't they just pull out their cell phone and use a flashlight? Well, it's the 80s. They didn't have that. You know, well, imagine going back 3,000 years ago. I think they were way, way, way smarter than we are. They were able to grasp and figure out things when we are just building, building on those who have gone before us. So the student said they were about as intelligent as a four-year-old today. And the other thing I responded with is they also knew what it meant to be a male or female. They didn't need anyone to teach them about chromosomes and things like that. They knew what it meant. 
Look, Genesis 1 through 11, they are foundational to our faith. They are prime importance. We learn what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be male and female? It's right there in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's foundational. We're in a society where the foundations have fallen apart. I mean, just this past week or the week and a half ago, a, a biological female lost to a transgendered female who is a biological male in a swimming competition. And thankfully, one particular governor still said, in my state, which is the state of Florida, we're going to provide you the win because you are a real woman. Which makes me think, and this might be kind of controversial, but I'll say it. Um, I'm all for women's sports. I think that fits with Genesis, that fits with the Bible, that fits with Genesis chapters 1 through 11. I'm all for women's rights and women's right to vote. But it seems things have kind of gone backwards. On one hand, I got to give the credit to the men. I guess they felt they were losing too many sports to women, so they thought, we'll just compete as a woman. Losing too many positions to women. So we have a, an admiral who they say is the first uh, female admiral, but that admiral is actually a man. That could have gone to a real woman who was really qualified for that position as admiral. When they announced it, there wasn't an actual woman in the room. And I don't mean to be dismissive because I think there really can be real gender dysphoria that can go from psychological issues, medical issues, or actual sin or, or, or sexual abuse in the past. Things like that do happen. But when those things happen, we don't just endorse them and encourage them. And we certainly don't give positions to them or awards to them. Uh, a biological man competing against women, that is a total unfair advantage. We see foundations in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And that's why, for this, that's why we have this sermon series. We see foundations, a biblical worldview questions, a, a worldview question. Everybody asks certain worldview questions. What does, it, what does it mean to be human? That's a worldview question. We all have some or another thought about it. What does it mean to be male or female? Where is history going? These are worldview questions. Where did history begin? That's a worldview question. We see a lot of them addressed right here in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Foundations are important. And we, as we get into Genesis 6, as we continue in Genesis 6 and 7, we see that the world was falling apart. Like it was so immoral, continually immoral, continually depraved. And we see that happening in an ongoing way. And, but Noah stood out. Now, you'll hear me repeating some form of this in the future sermons on, these, on the flood because we always judge God for the flood. And as I said last week, we fill in details which we don't know. We end up saying things like, that was wrong of God. He created everybody and all that. It says the world was so evil continually. People were living over 900 years. It was an easier existence because sin had not taken its full um, form and uh, th- things, uh, sin had not messed with our genetics as much. That's what I want to say. For all we know, they might have been messing with genetics. They might have been a very advanced society doing things like we do. We do know that later on when the Israelites went into the land of Israel, there was temple prostitution, and, which included incredibly uh, gross sexual immorality, sex trafficking, pedophilia, all kinds of things like that. 
the world was very, very, very corrupt. And God intervened to put a stop to it. I mean, imagine if the whole world was like the Nazis or the Stalins. The Stalins, the Stalins. Imagine the whole world was doing Holocaust-type stuff like that. There's a major genocide going on in Africa right now, which is being overlooked because of Ukraine. Imagine if the whole world was like that. Wouldn't we want someone to intervene? Maybe there were many people during this time saying, Lord, do something, put a stop to this. Maybe Noah was one saying, do something, put a stop to it. And God did. But God noticed Noah. Noah was different. So here we see details. Details should show that these were real people in the midst of a real event. Noah was righteous. He was blameless. This does not mean that he was sinless. It does mean that the patterns of his life were walking with God. The patterns of his life were walking with God, pursuing God. Notice we see that repeated. Noah was righteous. Noah was blameless. Noah walked with God. One person points out the order is one of increasing spiritual quality before God. Righteous is to live by God's righteous standards. Blameless sets him apart by a comparison with those of his day. And that he walked with God puts him in a class with Enoch. Enoch of the previous chapter, Ephesians 5.24. So he's kind of uh, increasing, righteous, blameless, walked with God. Noah fathered three sons. We'll hear more about them later on. For now, what is important is that there is an emphasis on Noah being different. There's an emphasis on the whole world being dark, but Noah being a light. Noah being the salt of the earth. Noah being different. Noah stood out in a crooked, corrupt world. Noah's light. Noah, the, the, emphasis is, the emphasis, though, is not on shining light. The emphasis is not on Noah's witness, but it is on Noah being different. Sometimes when we are different... It is being a witness. Actually, let me take that back. When we are different, it is being a witness. We're called to have integrity. When everybody else is grumbling and complaining, I'm trying to get my kids to really learn. Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Do your chores without, and I need to learn that too. Last week, Mercedes was saying, but Abigail, but Abigail, but Abigail, stop. Someday you will have to be concerned with the other people in your life. For today, just be glad. You just have to be concerned about you. Noah was different. In verse 11 through 12, we see the corruption of the world. Look at that. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth. And behold, it was corrupt. Second time, corrupt is repeated. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. See that? Corrupt, corrupt, corrupted, repeated three times. I think it was pretty bad. It's reiterating how bad the people were. The earth was corrupt in the sight of God. In the sight of God. God looked on the earth and it was corrupt. Now, we talked about this last week, but this is anthropomorphic language, anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic language. That means it's ascribing to, God's, ascribing to God human attributes. The earth was corrupt in the sight of God. God knew. He doesn't see as we see. This is coming down to our level, ascribing to God human attributes. God knew what was happening. God knows all things. He is present everywhere. This is describing things as if God saw it as we do. It says the earth was filled with violence. One source shares, the justification for the calamity is the complete moral corruption of the human family 
in the defilement of the earth. The repetition of corrupt occurring three times in verses 11 through 12 underscores God's appraisal of the human condition and proves the legitimacy of the extreme penalty he will invoke. Earth also occurs three times in this passage. You notice that? The earth is repeated three times. Look at it. The earth, one time, was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth, second time, was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, third time, and behold, it was corrupt. The earth also occurs three times in the passage, indicating that the fortunes of humanity and the earth are intertwined. Isn't that interesting? God created us on a physical planet, in a physical world, with physical bodies. The fortunes of the earth and humanity are intertwined. This corruption is further defined by the term violence, which is used of severe treatment against another person. It may involve physical harm, whereas God has blessed the human family with the power of procreation to fill the earth. These culprits have filled the earth by procreating violence. Notice that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it says that God has blessed the humans with the ability of procreation to fill the earth. But they are filling the earth with violence. Violence. Further, verse 12 intentionally recalls verse 5, where the Lord saw the intensity of human evil. And in chapter 1, verse 31 of Genesis, where the Lord saw the good earth he had made, The Lord saw the good earth he had made. Here God saw that the good earth was now corrupt. And the corruption was all inclusive, all people, excepting Noah. For this reason, only Noah was left from the earth. The good earth from Genesis 1.31 is now the corrupt earth, filled with violence. The ESV study Bible has a great note. I would commend that study Bible to any of you. The ancient Near Eastern epics of Gilgamesh and Atrahasis. So the ancient Near East had these epics. They were called, there were many of them. There was, there were, the Bible wasn't written in a vacuum. There was lots and lots and lots of extra biblical literature. And some of them had creation myths. And some of them had myths about the flood. And one is called the Epic of Gilgamesh. And one is called Atrahasis. And they tell of a flood sent to punish human beings. Gilgamesh and Atrahasis talk about a flood sent to punish human beings. However, in their story... The flood is punishing human beings for their disruptive noise. They believed their gods, their pagan false gods thought the human beings were too noisy. I guess they were giving them a migraine or something. And so they were going to punish them. However, Genesis emphasizes that God destroys the people he has created because of their immoral behavior, their gross immoral behavior. The earth was filled with violence, increasingly corrupt. I mean, imagine what we see going on right now to the 10th, to the 100th fold. I think it was very, 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 very bad. So God looks on the earth. God is inspiring to write Moses to write this. It was corrupt. So let's make some applications. Noah stood out, right? We are to be different. We are to be different. Noah is different and we need to be different. Do you realize today the world is still corrupt? We as Christians are called to be different. Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath. How awesome it is when everybody else is complaining and Christians are 
not. Maybe we address a problem if there's a problem. Nothing wrong with that. But we have a soft answer. How disarming it is when somebody's yelling and somebody else responds in gentleness. Gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm increasingly convicted that our world needs Christians who are different. We're not spreading the gossip, the vile stuff on the internet. We're not just spreading all this stuff. We are gentle. We are different. We are loving. It doesn't mean we don't stand for truth. We do stand for truth, but we stand for truth in a different way. It ought to be our goal to walk with God as Noah did. Walk, Noah walked with God. That's Genesis 6, 9. It ought to be our example to stand down in a perverse world as Noah did. Noah was different from the world. May we also be different from the surrounding world. May we live out Romans 12, 1 through 2. Paul writes, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, which is your reasonable service of worship. And then verse 2, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are to be different. Instead of being conformed to the pattern, the ways of the world, we are to be transformed. How are we transformed? The scripture says, by renewing our minds. How do we renew our minds? Get up in the morning with your Bible. No Bible, no breakfast. No Bible, no lunch. No Bible, no dinner. No Bible, no evening snack. Meditate on Scripture in the morning. You may not remember it all, but God will, finish, God, will, God will use it for His glory and His purposes in your life. Sometimes we don't remember what we ate for dinner last night. Doesn't mean you didn't eat dinner, right? Get up in the morning and spend time in His Word. A chapter a day keeps the pastor away. I'm just kidding. I'll come. You call. Spend time in his word. Renew our minds in prayer. Renew our minds with the church family. We have individual spiritual disciplines and we have corporate spiritual disciplines. Individual disciplines are getting up in the morning and having our daily devotions, our prayer time, our time in the word. Corporate disciplines are small groups, Bible studies, Sunday schools, uh, worship services. And we desperately need both. In today's world, oftentimes we think, I only need the individual spiritual disciplines. We need both. We desperately need the church family. My brother used to come home from work and say, I met this great Christian, uh, but he doesn't spend time in the church. Too many hypocrites. Well, the best answer is, well, we can always use one more. Come on. Um, But that contradicts the whole New Testament. There's no way they could grasp in their mind whatsoever at all a relationship with Christ apart from the church. Not in the first century and not in most other countries today either. It only comes about in the American uh, Western world with our first world problems, our individualistic world. And it's not working for us either. Anxiety is on the rise. Depression is on the rise. Suicide is grossly on the rise. So how do we play Dr. Phil? How's it working for you? It's not working. 
We need both. Proverbs 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. Ecclesiastes 4, 12, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. The whole New Testament, the whole New Testament is written to churches. Paul says, read this with the church in your house. Revelation has the letters to the seven churches. There's no way it was implied. Somebody asked me, well, how do you get the idea that that, 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 that Sunday school or Wednesday night Bible study or small groups are important? I think it's just totally implied in the whole New Testament. Acts chapter 2, at the very end of Peter's Pentecost message, it talks about them sharing together daily, spending time together daily. And we see that idea come up again in Acts chapter, I think it's chapter 5 at the end of the, at the, end of the passage. We see it come up again and again and again and again. There's no way they have this idea of this individualistic Christianity. And you know, the other thing is that many of us mix up the priorities. We think, I'm just so busy now. But after this next eight weeks, I'll put church in its proper place. It's a common mistake. It's also a devil mistake. I'm not saying the devil's in you when you make it. I'm saying the devil's gonna tempt you that way. I'm too busy now. I'm gonna be in the scriptures tomorrow. I'm just gonna have to take a break. A boy came to his father, bless you, and said, Dad, how much do you make an hour? Dad said, $50 an hour. The son said, can I have $50? But dad got upset with the son. All you want is money. No. The son keeps, keeps asking for $50. Dad gets upset. Go to bed. Son goes to bed. Dad comes says, I was a little too harsh with you. And son says something like, can I have $50? And dad gets upset again. Son pulls out money he's been saving under his pillow, a bunch of dollar bills, $50 actually. And says, I want to buy an hour of your time. Son, father was convicted at that point, being too busy for his kids. God wants our priorities right which of course includes our family. But first and foremost, God wants a relationship with us. He doesn't put us aside and say, I'm too busy, too busy managing the universe, but you know, I'll come back to you, Steve Rhodes. I'll come back to you in a few weeks, a few months. No, God wants a relationship with us. And when we ignore him, it's not just that we're sinning against him, it's that we're breaking his heart. He wants a relationship with us. And you know what the other thing is? When we say, I'll get back to you in six weeks or eight weeks, not that we'd actually say that. When we think that, we may not know. God may be calling us home to heaven that very night. Or we may lose our temper with our kids that night. And God may say, I could have helped you. You spend time with me, things fall into place a lot better. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy Jesus says, I have come to give you life and give it to the fullness. Now you get fullness of life in Jesus, John 15. Jesus says, he is the vine, we are the branches. We live with him. John 15, four, Jesus says to abide in him, remain in him. John 15, five, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 14, 27, Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. How do we get that peace? By nurturing a relationship with him. 
A lot of times when we're anxious and we're worried and we're dealing with things like that, we run from the church, not to the church. We're ashamed. We need to run to the church because that's a corporate spiritual discipline. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need each other. We are called to be different. May we recognize that friendship with the world is enmity with God, James 4.4. We're not, we're not to be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind because friendship with the world makes us enemies with God. In, in the Bible, the world's systems, the world's ways, the world's culture is always viewed as hostile to God. Look at what's going on right now. I referenced something in the beginning of the sermon about athletics. I'm starting to really like J.K. Rowling, though. She wrote Harry Potter. We were against her books when, when they first came out, but... Um, that was like 25 years ago, right? But she is just tweeting again and again against some of this behavior, against some of this stuff. And they're saying she's not woke enough, but she's standing. She is, you know, she's okay with lesbian stuff and things like that, but she's not okay with biological men in women's athletics. She realizes what we call God's common grace, God's general revelation of what it means to be male and female. The world's ways are hostile to God. We must stand out as Noah did. We must be different. We must allow the Holy Spirit to reign in our lives so we have the fruit of the Spirit. If Bill is still back there, thank you, Bill. I'm going to ask you to turn the lights off again. And Ken. I'll light this again. I just pray the candle thing works. If, uh, again, imagine I cursed it. I know I'm full of hot air, but okay, there we go. Imagine, we're called to be light, right? Think of it this way. If you're a Christian, you are the light. The Holy Spirit lights you up in a positive way. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to reign in your life, you will be different. You will be different. You will shine. But right now, I'm the only candle, right? Imagine it's the Christmas Eve service. Y'all have a candle. And the fire department is nowhere to be found because they probably don't like that. Y'all have a candle. This would lighten the whole surroundings much more. Then we can take our light into the world. We are light in a dark world. But our light is oftentimes dull, right? Oftentimes our light is faded. Oftentimes our light is even covered up. But as we are made holy, you can go and turn the lights back on, thank you. But as we are made holy, as we become like Jesus, we are the light of the world. How are you doing? Are you light? Are you complaining and arguing without reason? Are you allowing God to work in your life? Are you doing what Dr. Brown's wife's boss wanted her to do? Mixing the numbers so you get more money. Lacking integrity. Not submitting to authorities. The Bible calls us to submit to authorities, even corrupt authorities. We don't have to agree with them, but we are called to submit. Are you light? Jesus calls us to be light. Jesus calls us to be salt. This morning, Mercedes has wanted to come with me to, to church. Something's wrong with her that she gets up at like 6 a.m. every day when she doesn't have to, even on Sundays. So she leaves with me about 7.45 in the morning, and she's been making coffee and getting used to helping with that. And she comes to me, and she says, I got a great sermon illustration. Christians are to be like salt. You put the salt down on the snow, and the salt, the snow around the salt melts as well. And when we are the salt of the earth, we affect 
the people around us as well. And we are the light of the world. We light up those around us as well. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are called to be different as Noah's different, not to be like the world. Let's pray. Dearly Father, may we be light in a dark world. It seems as though Noah is light in a very, very dark world. We probably cannot imagine how dark and depraved the pre-flood world had become. We do know that you are faithful. You preserved Noah and his family and later on sent the Messiah to save humanity through Noah and his family, through his descendants, several thousand years removed. May we be standout people. May we pursue you. And when we mess up, and we will, may we own it, repent, apologize, ask for forgiveness. May we exude the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if anyone does not know you and they're listening, may today be the day when they can recognize all they have to do to come to know you is confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior, believe in you as the one and only Savior, trust in you, and commit to you. And you offer free forgiveness, eternal life, and the fullness of life in you. Fill us with the Holy Spirit as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Starting today, again, we have the prayer workers up here. And if anybody would like prayer, you're welcome to come forward during the song. And Tim's up here to be a prayer worker too.